Welcome to the Business Animal Podcast. Saddle up for a gallop to the top of the animal industry, where you'll learn how to tame your wild business beast with tips, techniques, and tools that will take overwhelm to obedience school and have you wagging your tail with joy. And now your hosts, Kim Beer and Kara Taylor Swift. Hey there, business animals. It's Kim with Be More Business. And Kara with Fast Horse Photography. Hi, Kim. Good morning, Kara. It's a lovely day here in Missouri. It's going to be a balmy 30-something degrees today. We're headed out of the deep freeze. We're going to actually get above freezing today. We're excited around here. Beautiful and sunshiny here in Florida as well. It's currently 63 degrees, so it's going to be in the 70s at some point today. I'm still wearing a long sleeve shirt because I'm freezing, but it's beautiful. Yeah, I'll be running around in shorts later today. And I can't wait to get to Florida next week so that I can be warm and also so that I get to visit with all of you guys in person. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to come see you. So we all get to be together next week. So we're excited. I know. We have a really fun lineup planned for that time that we're going to be together. And you get to kind of relax a little bit and just enjoy it, which you don't get to do very often (laughs) at these events. I don't ever get to do that. (laughs) I don't think there is an event that I do that I'm not somehow involved in the leadership of. So yes, this is going to be a very pleasant experience. And I am sure that if you need any help, I will be there to help, but I will not be stressing out at the same level. Oh, I'm going to put you to work. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to be stressing out at the same level as everyone else. No, but I'll put you to work. So yeah. And you know what? I love photography and I love doing any type of photography work, but I think it's really interesting that we just had this little conversation and our topic today is are you ready to take your hobby to being a business? And I remember back in the day when my camera, and it wasn't very many days because I became a professional photographer very early on in my life, but I remember back in the day when my camera was just an enjoyable hobby that I loved Mm -hmm. to do. Oh, 100%. I remember the day when the camera was the stress reliever from the job that paid the bills. Like it was the thing that uh, I that I would use to relieve stress. And I think that's why this topic is something that has to be considered, because both of us have just said we remember a time when our hobby was something that we did for enjoyment and not for income. Exactly. And I know that people out there listening to this podcast, either they're toying with or right now it's a side hustle and it still is. The side hustle is a little bit of a hobby, and they're toying with actually moving that forward into becoming a real business, and there's daydreams of quitting their day jobs and and being able to make money with their hobby and, and converting that into a business. And then I also know there's a lot of people out there listening that are in the same position we're in that have a business that started as a hobby or started as something that they enjoyed. I know a lot of people in the horse industry in particular, well, actually any animal-based business for that matter, most of the time it starts as something that is a hobby, that's yep. that's enjoyable, that's that's fun. And then you think, ah, wouldn't it be lovely if I could do this every single day of my life and go back to that famous quote, who I don't know who it's by, we'll have to Google that, but do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Which we know is a big load of crap. <laughs> 
<laughs> we do what we love and we work a lot. <laughs> yes. But it's so true, especially in the animal-based industries. A lot of us started in this work for our love of the animal, the animal that we wanted to work yeah. with. And we then grew our hobby into a business or the thing that we loved into a business. And it has, for many people, that becomes successful. For other people, it's a struggle. And for some people, it's okay to say, you know what? I liked this better as a hobby. And it was more meaningful to me as a hobby. So I'm going to keep it as a hobby and I'm going to do something else for work on a daily basis. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Are you ready to move your hobby to a business? Should you move your hobby to a business? So do you want to cover our big three? I do. But first, I want to say Harvey McKay, actually, this quote is like, it is attributed to a variety of people. The first person it was attributed to on Google was Confucius, but then it was contributed to Harvey McKay. So whoever said it, it it's a little bit of a misnomer. But yeah. So anyway, our big three for today. First of all, consider how your relationship to your hobby is going to change. And then ask yourself for big three number two, can you monetize your hobby? I mean, there's sometimes where what you do doesn't exactly convert over into money. And then finally, when you're ready to take that big step, get some help. And we have some suggestions on how you might be able to do that. So. The first one is consider how your relationship with what you're doing will change. And I will tell you, we've talked about this on other episodes and we've talked about it, I think, on the Cowgirls with Cameras podcast as well. There was a time for me when the drive to, in my photography, part of my business, which is not my sole business, by the way, it was so overwhelming and so dark that I put my camera away for a period of time. I didn't want to pick it up, which it was one of those things like for you, it was a stress reliever. It was my creative place where I could, and I've always said this, where I could connect to the divine. So I always felt very connected to spirit, to whatever I was photographing. And then I completely disconnected from that source because I started to monetize what I did. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't mine anymore. It became this thing where other people controlled what I was doing. And that was problematic. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that when you move your hobby to a business, it runs a high risk of becoming something that's no longer fun for you. It's no longer a stressful reliever for you. And it's no longer considered a hobby for you. It now is something that instead becomes one of your responsibilities, another responsibility. So something that you potentially once relied on to bring you peace, to bring you, to disconnect you from the stresses in your life has now become one of your stresses. And that is something that I think absolutely has to be considered. What are you going to replace that with in your life? You know, and it sounds like this should be like there's probably people out there that are sitting there saying, I would give anything to be able to work my hobby as a business. And I believe you. I believe that to be true. But if you don't consider this part of it, it will lose so much of the magic and so much of the beauty that it once had for you very quickly. Absolutely. And when I was in school for creative writing, there was a great deal of that particular curriculum that was spent helping people be able to critique each other. In other words, and it's and mm -hmm. part of that was also getting you prepared 
for being able to be critiqued without losing your mind later on when you (laughs) were a professional writer, right? So one of the things that happens when you move from things being a hobby into things being a business is you're no longer doing it for yourself. You're doing it for someone else. So the relationship with what you're doing changes because now there's another person interjecting their expectations on you. What I learned in creative writing school that I have been able to hold on to no matter what when it comes to criticism, which I'm going to float criticism and expectations kind of in the same category, because when you have a hobby or you do anything creative, and I'm going to say any business is a creative endeavor because you have to do a lot of creativity. But whenever you do that, the other person dictating your creativity, it feels like criticism. That's exactly what it feels like in your body. It's kind of how Mm -hmm. your system processes that. And in creative writing school, what I learned was when you choose to give something that you've held close to yourself to the rest of the world, you have to really give it freely and you have to release your hold on the expectations of what's going to happen with that. So in writing, when I write a story and I hand that story to you, you bring all of your life experiences, everything that's happened with you to that story. And so it looks and reads and acts and behaves completely differently in your being than it did in mine. And if I have some type of an expectation around that, I am going to be destroyed every single time. The same kind of concept works when you move from having a hobby where you've done this thing for yourself for so long, and now you're going to move over and do it for other people you all of a sudden have this thing where you expect other people to have the same benefit that you've received and they have to bring their whole life experience into it and it just doesn't work out that way. And I think that is a very harsh reality for those of us who've translated a hobby into a business It's the psychological part of this that nobody ever wants to talk about. Yeah, we can discuss the fact that, yes, you're going to have to perform this even when you're tired, even when you don't want to do it, which as a hobby, you have always been able to just do it when you felt like it. Now you're going to have to do it on a schedule and in other people's realm of expectations. It can feel like soul sucking. It really can. However, when you learn to manage that, it all of a sudden blooms into something that gets closer to that statement that says, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that's cool that you learned that in your creative writing because it's something that really does transfer kind of across You know, like I think about that in photography, like whenever I work for a client and I do my viewing, it's like I'm releasing this piece of me out even though it's their image or their animal that I'm photographing, I'm releasing that out to them. And it's even if they say something, you know, like they want the crop changed or something, you have to physically make yourself not take that personally and say, here it is out into the world. And I'm releasing that, like you said. (laughs) I think the other thing that you have to consider when you're thinking about how your relationship to your hobby will change is, do you have the grit that internal grit and time to create a product and service that's going to sell. 
Do you have time to build your brand? Do you have time to build a client base? And you have to sometimes be able to do this all while working a 40-hour-a-week job. Maybe you're parenting children, small children at home, or just any other responsibilities that you have. And I think that when you have a hobby that you are doing in your free time, you think, well, yeah, I'm going to continue to use my free time. Or you know what? I'll just cut out the Netflix binging in the evenings and I'll dedicate my time to my building my business. And I think that that is all well and good to say, but actually putting that into practice. I mean, Kim and I, we both know lots of entrepreneurs that had good intentions and they just didn't have the ability at that time in their life to actually dedicate the time and everything that it takes to grow that business. So really being honest with yourself about when you're going to do it, when you're going to work on turning that hobby into a business, setting that expectation with your schedule, and not just in your life, but communicating that to the people that you live with, you know, like your family, for example, communicating that to your family and saying, this is the time that I'm setting aside today or this week to work on my new business. Yeah. And I think that one other thing that you need to consider here as well in the decision to make the leap from hobby to business is what is your risk tolerance? And we Mm -hmm. coordinate our episodes for the business animal. Like we come up with them all in a batch and I happen to know our next episode. So I'm giving you a a psychic vision of what the future holds for you on this show. (laughs) But our next episode is about developing courage in your business. And risk tolerance is a big part of that. And as a hobby, you don't have a lot of risk that you're taking with what you're doing. I mean, if you screw up something as a hobbyist, let's just say that we'll keep on with the photography example. You know, you're taking pictures of, of a horse and you mess it up. You go back and you look and none of those images are going to work or be good, then you just ditch them. It's not a big deal. But when you're getting paid for it, suddenly it becomes a big deal. You now have to say, okay, well, that shoot didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Now, how can I make it acceptable for that client? And I think we've all, as photographers, been in that position. So it's just a different step. And I think you do need to assess your risk tolerance and say, I'm willing to risk a lot to move this from hobby to business. Yeah. And I think that moves us into, can you monetize your hobby? Can you monetize your hobby? Because that that has to be considered. And you you have to say to yourself, okay, how exactly am I going to get paid? Am I already making some money from my hobby? Am I already making more than I'm investing into this hobby? If that's the case, that's great. That's a wonderful start. But I will tell you from experience that people will absolutely rave about your work They, when they're not paying anything for it. When you're putting it out into the world or you're providing a free service, they love it. But let me tell you, when you put a dollar sign on that, there is a chance that people will disappear and they yeah. will not value it the same when they have to pay for it. And I see that. I remember that experience, you know, When I was shooting people for free and I was offering free model calls and trying to get people into my business, like I was getting emails and text messages right and left. The second I put a monetization aspect to it, it was like cold silence. And I had to really, okay, I had to think about, okay, I actually have to make a business out of this and I have to do all this work in order to build a client base that actually values paying for my work. 
Yeah, I've seen this play out with horse trainers. In the business consulting side of my business, I've watched this play out with horse trainers numerous times. You have a person who's really good in their horsemanship, who gets asked all the questions by their friends and their riding buddies and everybody around the barn. And then they decide to, you know, help out with a few problem horses or a few little things. And then the next thing they're like, hey, you know what? I I could see a potential here to make a living as a horse trainer. And so then they start charging. And a lot of times I think the mistake that people make when they move from hobby into being a business is that they don't start out charging enough. And I'm going to say that again. They don't start out charging enough. So they charge something that's low rent because they're like, oh, well, I'm just starting. I'm just really a hobbyist. I hear this in our photography students all of the time, Kara. I don't know if you pick up on this conversations when they're happening around with our students at workshops and stuff, but I hear them doing the same thing. Well, I'm just really a hobbyist. I don't know what to charge for things because I, and I don't feel like I could charge full price. Okay, I'm about to say a bad word, but bullshit. When you do not value what you're doing, and we've talked about this numerous times on this show as well, even when you are moving from hobby to business, there's no like training wheels that you have to put on the price tags of things. (laughs) You need to charge what people will value you at. And if you don't charge that amount, a lot of times you get taken advantage of. And the people who are the most critical and the most difficult to work with are the people who pay you the least. So that's been my experience overall. So when you are making that shift, you really need to look and say, okay, if I can monetize this, what is the market value for it? What are other people paying in my area for something that's similar Do your research and know what you need to charge and don't put training wheels on your price tags. Make sure that you charge people what's fair. And like I said, I saw that a lot amongst horse trainer clients of mine that they would really discount it. Like, I'm not a professional trainer. I'm still working on my certification. Yeah, please don't do that. Please charge what is the correct value. Well, just try not to get discouraged when those people who were enjoying what the service you were providing for free don't want to pay you. Because what that means is that they're just not your ideal client and that you as the business owner, the new business owner, have to do the work of a business owner and you have to go out and actively build your brand and identify your target market and build your client base and you need that client base to be filled with people that value the work that you do. And it's okay if those family members and friends that enjoyed your work for free are not your clients. But you have to recognize that because I think you can get into a place where you're like, well, thought I was doing a really good job, but now that I want to get paid for it, it's like stone cold silent. And that just means that you haven't done the (laughs) the actual work of a business owner to get your ideal client in front of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's a whole bunch of other aspects when you talk about monetizing your hobby. Things like you need to have a business plan. You need to understand all the legal stuff. So are you ready to do the work to create a business plan? Are you ready to understand your legal structure, tax benefits, your liabilities as a business owner? Are you ready to sit down and research competitors and your existing target market? Is there even a need for your hobby to be a business? Is there a need for that? There probably is. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be enjoying it so much as a hobby. So 
you know, but you have to do that work. Have you done the work to know your existing channels to access your target market? Like, where are your ideal clients at? Do you need to have a website? Are you going to have an Etsy shop? Are you going to show up and table to a vendor booth at the local farmer's market every Saturday? Or are you going to jump in with a brick and mortar? Like, what is your plan around that? You have to do that work as well. And I think we we talked about this already, but, you know, are you already making money? If you are already making money, then that tells you something. If you're not already making money, maybe consider doing a market test first before throwing, you know, before saying and exclaiming, this is going to be a business. Maybe put it out there. Try to put it out into the world. Take one of your products and put it out to the world and see what happens with it to kind of do a test run. What do you think about that? I like doing the test run. I'm going to stand by what I said earlier, though. Make sure you charge well for the test run because otherwise you have a test Mm -hmm. run that's not realistic. Yeah. And I think for some people, the other thing we haven't talked about is the downside to this about when you get the answer that no, you can't monetize your hobby. And I'm going to give an example Mm -hmm. of that outside of the animal-based business thing. I had a neighbor who was very crafty. And I know a lot of crafty people, but she was like extra crafty and very, very good at it. She made lots of really interesting little things, knickknacky kind of stuff that was wonderful. And when she tried to make it into a business, she discovered it cost her more in materials and time than she could make from what she was producing. So it what her final takeaway was, I enjoy doing these crafty things and I'm going to save them up and give them as gifts to people so that they have their crafty gift. It's a wonderful thing that I can give away. But when I start looking at how much time it takes me to produce it, what it costs me to buy the materials to do the craft, it turns out I really am paying other people to take these crafts off my hand. (laughs) So I think that you do have to adjust your expectations. And sometimes the answer is going to be no, you can't do it that way. However, what I say is all of business is a shell game. And had she wanted to do it, there was another way to make revenue off of it. Yes, she couldn't buy the materials and do the time and do the booths and all of that and be able to make money from the crafts. But if she had wanted to, she could have done classes, made everybody who came to the class buy their own materials, and then she could have made a profit through that talent. So sometimes it's just about picking up the paradigm and shifting it a little Mm -hmm. bit to see where that money is. And that's where your love of entrepreneurship really gets born. That's when you become a serial entrepreneur, when you learn how to pick up whatever the idea is, go, yeah, this side of it isn't going to work, but can I shift it and move it and make it something that will work? That's where I get myself in trouble because I look at all of the fun sides of things and can figure out And it's why I have three businesses or four or how many ever. I listed a bunch on my new business card. I'm just like, I'm done buying business cards for all of the businesses. I'm just chunking them all on one card and people can pick what they want. (laughs) I think that's why your brain, though, is so valuable because you have the ability to pick something up and see it for more than what it is and like flip it around and see it from such a different perspective. Like, I think that's why people value your brain so much. And that's why they spend time 
picking your brain because you can help them see something that they can't see within it. So you should be proud of that. I am very proud of it. And I love doing it. And it's it's um something yeah. that I never get tired of doing. So yeah, it fits the quote. So the final one of our big three is to get some help. And I think that leads us perfectly into that. So if you're not one of those folks that can pick up your business idea and turn it around and look at it from different angles and come up with something that will work, then find someone who is. You can rent people like me. You can actually rent my brain if you want. It's even on my website. If you want to sit and work with somebody who can do that and it it comes easy for them. And also all of the business stuff, even people who come from business degrees. At first in my career, when I started speaking and doing things and teaching entrepreneurs, I was intimidated by the fact there were people in my classes who had master's degrees in business and marketing. And here they were, they were sitting in my classroom where I'm an English history psychology major, you know. I don't have what I felt was their business acumen on the academic side, and yet they're in my classes learning about entrepreneurship because I've done the boots on the ground thing. But I don't think that business degrees or business education even prepares you for entrepreneurship. It's something that other entrepreneurs or people who work in the entrepreneurial space, they are the ones that have the wisdom around that. So most people who go into business, they don't have a business degree. They don't have any inclination or really solid information about how businesses work, especially small businesses, especially entrepreneurial businesses. And in that case, you do need some help because there are some things that you can do that will solidly set you up for success. Kira already mentioned some of them. Put together a business plan, because when you put together a business plan, you have to look around all of the corners in your business, and you have to look at some of the scary monsters that are lurking in those corners, like tax structure and legal liabilities, and is this profitable, and competitive research, and do you have an exit plan, and what do you need for money, and all of those things. Those are really, really important, but you're not born knowing how to write a business plan. Nobody is. So you've got to get some help with that. And there's a lot of organizations that can help you. I speak for a variety of those organizations. One of them that I speak for quite regularly is called SCORE. It is a group of retired business people who, and they're not all retired now. There's a, there's a bunch of them that are still actively in business. But they have chapters all over the United States. You can find a chapter usually associated with your local SBA, which is your Small Business Administration office. Both of those organizations will provide you with a mentor. And there are other free supported mentorships programs. I speak for one here in Kansas City called Square One. And you can look up their website. It's through Mid-Continent Public Libraries in Kansas City, but they will work with people all across the country. So they're a great organization. They're funded by the Kaufman Foundation. Ewing Kaufman was a local philanthropist in Kansas City and very much an entrepreneur. He developed a pharmaceutical company that became rather large and started in his basement grinding oyster shells for a calcium supplement. So I don't know if we could classify that as a hobby. It'd be a rather creepy hobby, but 
Uh, at any rate, he turned it into a multi-million billion dollar pharmaceutical company that eventually got purchased and split up a bunch of other pharmaceutical companies. At any rate, the foundation that is in his name funds the program through Square One. He's not the only person. This is replicated in different organizations all across the U.S. All you have to do is you have to find somewhere that is a fountain for the resources that are available to you to get help to convert your hobby to a business and to help you assess whether you can do that full time, how what's it going to take to leave your day job, or maybe this is just a part-time side hustle that you want to put together in a really professional way. So it's no problem to get help. And by the way, I always say this, mentors are like potato chips. You do not have to have just one. You can have multiple mentors and they can be in a variety of flavors. And all of the ones that I've mentioned thus far are free. Well, I'm going to say free with the quotes around it because they're paid for by with your taxpayer dollars. So you've already prepaid the bill for these folks. So go use them. Small Business Administration is another one. They have these things called Small Business Technology Development Centers. They're SBTDCs or SBDCs, which is Small Business Development Centers. Again, like SCORE, their part SCORE and that are put together. SBA, SCORE is the volunteer arm of the Small Business Administration and funded by them. So those are going to be in your state-run universities. They're usually associated with that. Or sometimes they're in Kansas. They're even in a community college. So just look for the local educational resources at the college level. And in general, you'll be able to follow a breadcrumb trail into an SBA office who can hook you up with SCORE. Who, And then through one of those two organizations, you'll find the other organizations that support business in your area. Yay. So, okay. So I felt like when we started this episode, we were a little bit like Debbie Downer about like turning the business into a hobby. But I love the idea that, listen, this is something that you can absolutely consider doing. You just have to be smart about it and you have to take those steps. So number one, consider how the relationship with your hobby is going to change. And we covered a whole bunch of stuff that might have felt a little negative in the beginning. And then think about, can you actually monetize your hobby? So go through, are you already making money? Are you already making more money than you're putting into this hobby? Maybe you've never even considered monetization. So start thinking about what that might look like. And you have to do the businessy business work. So you've got to do the legal stuff. You've got to think about the business plan. You've got to think about your tax benefits. You've got to think about your tax liabilities. You've got to think about all that. And then the biggest, probably the the most like underutilized with small business owners that are folks that are starting out is all the help that's actually out there that is free to you that Kim has mentioned. The SBA using a consultant, her the, she recommended SCORE in the Kansas City area, uh, Square One, finding mentors. Remember, you, you know, you can have multiple mentors for different aspects of your business, people that specialize in different areas. So there's a lot of positive stuff out there. So if this is something that you're considering, go for it, but do it smartly and do it in a way that is scalable and functional for your life that you are already living and for all the obligations and stuff that you have in your life. Both Kim and I have certainly gone on this journey of taking our hobbies and turning them into a business. We have certainly been in your shoes at some point. So we wish you the best of luck out there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
And if you liked it, let us know. Like, we want to hear from you. Like, give us a rate and review on wherever you choose to listen and find us online at The Business Animal. Before we close out, Kara, I wanted to read my tea horse, my tea wisdom today. So I drink a cup of tea every day. It's yogi tea. And it comes with wisdom attached to it. Are you reading the tea leaves? Are you reading the tea leaves? Or is this like a a fortune cookie that you opened up? Yes. Basically, it's a fortune. It's a tea fortune. There we are. Okay. I just need to know what level of um, what level I need to put into this. <laughs> so today's tea fortune the, says, never regret your mistakes. Admire the courage it took to attempt the unknown. And when you're on this topic, I cannot think of a better way to say that. It may or may not be a mistake, but regardless, admire the courage it took to attempt the unknown and mark it up as a good oh, okay. ex- as a good experience all the way around. So yes, there we go. There we go. That's my wish for everybody. Attempt the unknown. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business Animal. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. To learn more, find us at thebusinessanimal.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Keep your business well-trained with The Business Animal.